Welcome to the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. Scott has been discipling men and women for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping you grow into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. Grab your Bible, something to write with, and your favorite warm beverage, and let's listen as Scott takes us deeper in our walk with God. the study of pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We have started going through basically the five traditions uh, that exist around the concept of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and um, we are right now in the midst of discussing what is um, we've referred to as the Reformed position, which, as I said, actually would be pretty much the position of the church prior to Pentecostalism emerging in 1906. And um, just as a summary to catch everybody up, if you haven't been with us, or just as a reminder, um, the Pentecostal theologians and charismatic theologians look at several passages in Acts and determine that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what they would refer to as a secondary work of grace, meaning that it is subsequent to salvation, and that uh, what we're about to discuss is in response to something they would say around the difference between Paul's discussion of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and Luke's discussion of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, of course Luke being the author of the book of Acts. Because um, can anybody recall what the arguments were that we said the Reformed uh, theologians would make stating that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is uh, simultaneous to salvation? Does anybody remember? The question is, what what are what are the we've made a couple of arguments that or we've presented a couple of arguments that theologians from the Reformed perspective would make to suggest that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and salvation are simultaneous rather than being separated. Well, Reformed would say because of depravity, you couldn't receive Jesus without the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could argue um, that's not one of the arguments we made, but they would definitely say that. What what the Pentecostal might suggest is, um, and this is something we're about to get into, is that the Pentecostal position, um, in the opinion of people who are not Pentecostal, creates a problem around what we would, how we would define a Christian, because you have a salvation without the Holy Spirit which creates this new organism that we've never seen before until their theology existed, right? So what they might say is, no, the salvation part can happen. It's the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a secondary thing. So here's the arguments that we saw that they would make. The first is that the baptism was prophesied as as coming to all believers and that when the day of Pentecost comes in Acts chapter 2, that Peter and the apostles clearly saw that as the fulfillment of the prophecy. Talking about Joel. Joel is one of them. Joel chapter 2, exactly. So the baptism was prophesied and promised for all believers. um, And that baptism, 
in the Holy Spirit is replacing baptism of repentance that John the Baptist offered. And we showed all these parallel passages that said, essentially I'm summarizing, but the passage would say something like, John baptized with water, Jesus will baptize with fire. Or John baptized with water, Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Meaning, if you went to John, you got water. When you come to Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit, you get fire. Right? So there's a one-to-one -one ratio there. There's a one-to-one -one relationship. Now, what the reason I have this question up here is that Pentecostal and Charismatic theologians have argued that Paul's baptism is soteriological, and that's a big word, but soteriology is the study of the doctrine of salvation. How are we saved? What is it that saves a person? How does salvation actually work? That all of those questions are addressed in soteriology or the study of soteriology. So the charismatic theologians and the Pentecostal theologians have said that Paul's discussion of the Holy Spirit is soteriological, whereas Luke's emphasis in Acts is primarily regarding the empowerment for service of the believer and is charismatic in its theology. And the number one place this case was made was in this book right here called The Charismatic Theology of St. Luke um, by Roger Strongstadt. And when Strongstadt reads Luke, he believes that Luke did not relate the Holy Spirit to salvation, but to a new source of power that the, the believer could receive subsequent to their salvation. And Stromstadt argues in this book that Luke sees the Holy Spirit almost exclusively in charismatic terms versus soteriological terms. And this is maybe the most influential book that was ever written to make this case. So I will just tell you that if you're down in the weeds of the academic theological world, this book gets written and then all of this stuff spirals out of responses, then counter-responses, and then counter-responses to that from Strongstadt's arguments in this book. Now, the most hotly contested passage in the book of Acts is this one right here, and it's in Acts chapter 8. And it is primarily verse 5, 12, and then 4 through 17. So, I'll just read it with you guys. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So, in the Pentecostal way of reading this, they're emphasizing, what do you think that they see happening here? The distinction of being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and then the Holy Spirit. Right. So, you have the preaching of Philip, then you have them being baptized in what we're told is the name of the Lord Jesus. So, this isn't John's baptism. And then, later, 
the apostles go down there, Peter and John go, and they pray for them so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So it's obvious that there is a separation of time here, right? That's what's obvious. And this is why this passage is so hotly discussed because it makes it this is the one place where it is very obvious that there is a separation in time right and um, so what can be said about this passage by evangelicals who are not Pentecostal like how do they handle this passage what would they say um, well one of the most strenuous arguments ever made for Luke um, associating the Spirit with the initiation of faith, associating the Holy Spirit with conversion, making them simultaneous, was made by a scholar named James Dunn. And he made it in this called the Journal of Pentecostal Theology. This is actually um, volume uh, 3 of the year 1993. And what is really interesting for me in this discussion is I read this article in this journal because when I got saved in the Army, I got saved at a charismatic church. And I began having a debate with our senior pastor about charismatic theology as a new believer. <laughs> and this article was very young at that time. It was, a, it was something that was newly written. And who knew it was going to be as influential as it was because this is, I don't know, the shot heard round the world of Pentecostal theology, if you will, was this article that he writes in this um, journal because he is not a Pentecostal. He writes this article in the journal of Pentecostal theology arguing that Pentecostals are wrong. Yeah, of course. Uh, and... Uh, books have been written in response to this article. Whole books have been written by Pentecostals in response to Dunn's article. And then books have been written in response to those books. Okay, so um, Dunn points out that there are several passages in Acts where we have we don't have this disconnect. And so let's look at some of those passages. Um he shows that the Holy Spirit gets connected to salvation by Luke. It says, Acts 10, 43-48, All the prophets testify about him that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. Notice it says, what's it start? The first phrase of verse 44. Yes, while well, Peter was still speaking these words, he's he literally in the midst of his sermon, and the Holy Spirit comes down on all those who heard the message. Now, 
we see this phrase, heard the message, and we don't really get the emphasis because we're not Semitic. But in Semitic language, when you hear in this way, it means far more than just the auditory sound waves going in your ear. It is a hearing in which you respond to what is being said. It is a responsive in interaction with the words. And it's similar to um, the phrase in Hebrew is very similar to another phrase um, called uh, to remember. And I'll give you an example. So, how many guys remember what happened to um, Hannah? Does anybody remember what Hannah, who Hannah was in the Old Testament? Who was Hannah? She was a barren woman. Yep. And she was praying to conceive, mm -hmm. and she was praying so hard that uh, Elijah thought she was drunk. Exactly. So she wants a child. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord. Afterward, they returned home to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that just intellectually he's like, oh, yeah, there's a Hannah out there? No, it means that he acts. He responds through action. That's the same idea to remember, to hear, is to respond. This is what Jesus would say. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's not saying, I hope that my sound waves are reaching your head. He's saying you should do something. Right? You should, you should act. Why does this prayer happen in Psalm 86.6? Lord, hear my prayer. We want him to respond. We want him to act. That's what it means semitically to hear. So if we go back to Acts, while Peter was still speaking in verse 44, these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. What they're saying is they were responding to the sermon. And because of that, boom, the Holy Spirit is delivered. Okay. Scott? Yes. So, um, Luke wrote Acts, mm -hmm. traveled with Paul. Yep. How could, I, I, I've never read that there was a theological difference between the two. That's kind of a new one for me. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I, I, just, I just see he's, he's a historian. I would assume he's probably maybe a little subordinate to Paul. That's just in my mind. Mm -hmm. I'm just throwing that out. Yeah, so you're making a good point, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, which is what would be, we're asking how do evangelicals address this question, one of their responses is, look, Luke and Paul were like best buds. I mean, this is all because Luke is hanging out with Paul. It's not like Luke doesn't understand Pauline theology. Quite the contrary. That's, that's one of the responses. But what do we see happening here? This is Luke writing. We see the hearing of the message, the response, the Holy Spirit simultaneous to the response of faith. The Holy Spirit is given, and then they say, look, how could we refuse, right? By the way, Acts chapter 10, in case you don't remember, this is happening in the house of a, a centurion named Cornelius. He is a Gentile. This is a revolutionary event in the history of the world, is that the, that the Gentiles were brought into the faith. Because at this point, Acts 1 through 9, everybody's Jewish. And the Jews aren't, have, have no real thought that someone not Jewish is going to be allowed to be in the faith. Christianity was not a separate thing. 
Judaism had just continued and the fulfillment of all these prophecies is taking place. There was no separate Christianity at this point. In fact, we haven't gotten to Antioch yet, which is Antioch is where people were called Christian for the first time. Okay? So that's why it's saying, how can, we, how can we hold back bringing these people into the faith when they're having exactly the same experience we had? Which, by the way, he sees it as identical. Salvation, Holy Spirit. Salvation, Holy Spirit. Everybody with me on that? Okay, any questions? No question. Yes. So going back on the day of Pentecost, mm -hmm. um, when you had multiple people from multiple nations, mm -hmm. they all heard the message and then mm -hmm. responded, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. So would there, have been, would there not have been some Gentiles there? Nope, they were all Jewish. All Jewish. Yep, they were all there to celebrate the Passover. Right. In Jerusalem, they were they were Hellenistic, meaning they were in the the Greco-Roman world at large, and they were kind of coming home to home, to homeland to celebrate. But yes, they were all Jewish at that point. Yep. Okay. Next one is Acts chapter eleven, verses thirteen through sixteen. Here we're going to see the exact same order of events, the same sequence of events. He reported to us how. This is Peter going back and reporting, hey, the Gentiles are engaged, man. Like, this is crazy. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but this is what's going on. He says, he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He will speak a message to you by which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them just as on us at the beginning. I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So this makes the case I was making earlier while simultaneously showing that Luke is making a connection between salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit being simultaneous. Right? Okay. The next one is Acts chapter 15. We see the same order again. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up among them and said to them, Brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. So the word gets preached. There's a call to respond or believe, and then the gift of the Holy Spirit is given, and then you have the purification of the heart. Now you would think that those last two, the purification of the heart and then the gift of the Spirit would be reversed if Pentecostal theology was correct. Because what they're saying is you get saved, time happens, then you receive the Holy Spirit. So you would be purified first, but that's not what this says takes place. God knows the heart, right? Okay. Any, any other questions about that? So what goes on now? Let's go back to Acts chapter 8. So what is going on there then? Yes. Just something that's popping into my head. I grew up in the Presbyterian Church. Mm -hmm. So with much, all my instruction has been reformed. Yep. Um, what I heard about what the Pentecostals thought was that they placed emphasis on a second 
visitation of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit visits you when you're saved. That mm-hmm. gives us the ability to have faith, right? Mm-hmm. So, but though those in the Pentecostal church and charismatic church we believe there's a second visitation, and that's what gives you this ability to have the gifts and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I heard was said about what they thought. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they would say it that way. Yeah. Um, but you know, I it, it strikes me as the the first uh, in Acts eight that. You know, if they heard and believed, then from a reform standpoint, um, I think the apostles would bear this out, that, mm-hmm. that they received the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And that this thing that hadn't happened yet was maybe what the Pentecostals refer to. Mm-hmm. Now, what, how we actually frame it, I'm not entirely familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and so we're going to go through in detail the Pentecostal position next. Yeah. But they would definitely say that you were saved and you then later receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Without a doubt. Like that is the hallmark of Pentecostal theology. Yeah. And they will argue it, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, copious amounts yeah. of volumes have been dedicated to this topic. Yeah. Yes. And there's also charismatic elements in other denominations. Like we were at a Presbyterian church and there were also charismatics there. Mm-hmm. Who would say we need to pray for you for the second blessing? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? What is that? Mm-hmm. Because so right. that's where it gets confusing. So of course. I'm just showing you what the yeah. I mean, so those were Pentecostals who didn't know that they had ended up at a Presbyterian church. <laughs> they just thought it says the word church on the sign. That's just, we should go there on Sunday. Well, they took, they yeah. took the word Presbyterian out of the yeah. name of the church. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is excellent. I started dealing with this issue in '69, coming back from uh, Urbana with the University Christian Fellowship, because you know uh, about one third of the group was charismatic, and it affects us especially right now because many of us, Gene and I for sure, uh, attended probably the most prolific charismatic church uh, that you know Texas has seen, definitely here in Frisco out of sympathy, you know, for the, for the pastor who just got hit on the side of the head like none other I've ever seen in America. Um, I think they the problem... Where, where, which church? Oh, uh, Harbor Life. Oh, okay. They, you know, okay. who's also yeah. not their all-millennial if you were things too. Uh, the thing I've come up with after 52 years of really looking at this is that all this, the charismatic theology seems to contradict James 1-2. You know, which is, you know, consider it joy, my friends, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, you know, produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect work, that you may be, you know, perfect, and well, I forgot some of the word, you know, out there. Because what we've seen with our friend is that he has to have an experience every week. He has to be slain in spirit and lying on the ground, and all of our, and we have some, oh, you wouldn't believe how some dear some of our friends are. And what can say of their spirituality is, is that it's, it's much higher than ours, and it's much lower, too. You know, it's a roller coaster. Sure. You know, uh, whereas those of us who seem to embrace this kind of theology, which is my theology, um, you know, we don't seem to rush up real high. You know, we, uh, we rush up a little bit, and then we kind of screw up and get mad at each other. 
and then we come down. But overall, we seem to be growing. Are we growing? We're growing a little bit year by year. Well, we hope we're growing, right? That we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in that process later, because that's the notion of sanctification, which actually Reformed theologians uh, downplay sanctification in a huge way because they believe everything happens at the moment of salvation, and that's it. Like who you are when you're saved is that's all you ever have to be. Like because it's selected beforehand, you're pre-selected, right? But we'll get into that later. We're, we're just talking about right now the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I agree with what you're saying there about how these theologies will manifest themselves in a person's life. There's at, for sure, there are practical implications to what you believe. Um, because if you, we talked about this before, but if you believe that the Holy Spirit is a secondary work and you have to, you have to ask to receive it, well, then what happens if you don't feel like you did? Like, does God not like you? You know, like you said, there's, a, there's the more spiritual and the less spiritual. There's the spiritual haves and the spiritual have-nots that's a byproduct of that process. So, I, I, I understand. So, let's go back to this Acts chapter 8 question. We're in Acts chapter 8, we saw baptized in the name of Jesus, but then the apostles come later. We know how far, how long. Was it days? Was it weeks? It was some other time. And they make sure that they receive the Holy Spirit. Well, let's first of all lay down some hermeneutical rules. Now, hermeneutics is the science of interpreting Scripture, right? It's how do we know that we're handling the word of truth accurately? And um, by the way, we get this Greek word hermeneutics from the Greek god Hermes, who is the messenger of the gods. Thanks for listening. We pray this has been edifying. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a shout out on your favorite social media platform. Scott's username on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Scott Ross Online. That's Scott Ross Online, all one word. Also, please remember to go to scottrossonline.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, and discuss what you've learned with others. Until next time, continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. God bless you.